0: good evening tonight's message is called the church and the pastor tonight we'll continue our study in the book of first thessalonians chapter five let's read verses one to thirteen together first thessalonians chapter five verse one but of the times and the seasons brethren ye have no need that i write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the lord so cometh as a thief in the night for when they shall say peace and safety Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken or drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him. Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Verses 1 to 11 in this chapter concerns the day of the Lord, and is a continuation of that topic from chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, in which Paul was writing to the church of the Thessalonians about. In our last study, we looked at verses 9 to 11, where we saw that it was God who has not appointed his people to wrath, but to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Again, Paul is writing to born-again blood-washed saints, the church of the Thessalonians. He's not writing to all the people at Thessalonica. Paul had been admonishing the saints to be sober, which means wide awake, alert, watchful, because we're in an all-out spiritual war with the enemies of Christ and his gospel all around us. And we also battle our own old sinful nature. We have that to contend with, this flesh. So therefore, we are to put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. And Paul was moved by the Holy Spirit to wisely instruct us in these things. Not only us, but to those he was writing to. The breastplate protects the heart. True God-given faith, coupled with sincere love for Christ and his gospel, will protect us from the fiery darts of the evil forces of darkness who will hurl every wind of false doctrine they can our way. The helmet protects the head. The area where the brain is located and thoughts are formed in our minds. We are to set our mind upon Christ, who is our salvation, knowing that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. That's why it's so important for us to hear the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The gospel of God's amazing grace that teaches us that our only acceptance with God is through the perfect, redeeming, sin-atoning work of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when our minds are filled with the truths of the gospel, our helmet, the hope of salvation, will protect us, from the voices of strangers false preachers is jesus christ is the one and only hope in god's chosen blood-bought people he's the one and only hope we have and that is why we need to hear his gospel often to remind us of the great things that christ has done for us because god hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our lord jesus christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Jesus Christ endured the wrath of God for all the elect of all the ages when he laid down his life for us. And this was purposed by God before time began. If in the eternal decrees of God, he purposed to save his elect, and he most certainly did, and there's a particular people who were not appointed to wrath, a particular people who must live together with Christ for all eternity, because Christ died for us. Christ shed his precious blood for us. The Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life for his sheep. The scriptures declare that he died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. If we die, that is, fall asleep in Christ, we will be in his presence the moment the eyes of our natural body close in death. Scripture declares for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought for us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, and I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 4-8 If we're alive when our Lord Jesus Christ returns, we'll be caught up to meet our Lord in the air. Therefore, whether we wake or sleep, all of those whom Christ purchased with his precious, precious blood on Calvary's cross, shall live together with him in glory forever. And our closing verse for last week's study in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. This is what we do every time we assemble together for public worship. This is what the preaching of the gospel does. And by God's grace, we will continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers, Acts two forty two. Loved of God, it is our sovereign Lord who has chosen, redeemed, and called us to that glory and immortality. Therefore, we can be sure of that inheritance, for God, in his unchangeable purpose, has determined to populate the new heaven and the new earth with a people like Christ, the people of his choosing, the people redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the people regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, a people who cry, salvation is of the Lord. And God gave his son to redeem those people and to provide for them a perfect righteousness. And then he's given us the Holy Spirit as a pledge of that promise. Salvation is of the Lord in its plan, its execution, its application, and in its continuation, and in its ultimate perfection. We know that while we are sojourners on this earth, in this natural body, we are absent from the glorious presence of our great God and absent from the full enjoyment of that which we have been redeemed. Yet, let us always remember that we are not absent from his general presence. Our God is ever with us. He is ever with us. And We have not yet entered into our inheritance. But one day, at the appointed time of God, which God has appointed for us, we will pass from this world into his glorious presence, beloved. And oh, what a day that will be. It's all because God has foreordained us unto eternal glory in and by and through the Lord Jesus Christ and has given us the earnest of his spirit. We are confident and assured that we shall enjoy those blessings. Therefore, let us comfort one another with this wonderful truth. The born again, blood-washed saint of God has the Holy Spirit of Christ dwelling in them. And we cannot be comforted under the preaching of lies under the preaching of false doctrine, under the preaching of the doctrine of man's works and salvation. No, no, that will never bring the true born again blood-washed saint of God comfort. It is the truth, the preaching of Jesus Christ and his gospel truths that sets God's children free from the prison house of unbelief, from the power of darkness, from the power of Satan, and from the power of sin, and from the power of self. And all of God's saints are comforted in knowing that all our sins have been removed from God's sight forever when our Lord Jesus Christ paid the ransom price in full for all the elect of all the ages by his supreme sacrifice, by the supreme sacrifice of himself 2,000 years ago at Calvary's cross. And the continual preaching of that same gospel is what keeps us looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, who when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high, it is of great comfort to those who have the Spirit of God dwelling in them to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over again. Now with the word wherefore in verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we see that Paul in the next verses begins his conclusion of this epistle with a series of admonitions that will aid and encourage the church as she sojourns here in this world. And these admonitions are seen in light of the grace of God that has delivered the brethren who Paul is writing to from idols. They've turned from idols to serve the living and true God, just as all of the elect of God have been turned from darkness into the light of Christ. Now we know that the church of the Thessalonians were being persecuted for their faith by their own countrymen they were experienced severe trials and tribulations which had come their way and just like them when the trials and tribulations come as they must every believer has one hope and one hope in those times we look to he who is our hope the Lord Jesus Christ and we will see as we study this final section of this chapter. Paul's final instructions and in benediction to the saints of God at Thessalonica. Let's read verses 12 to 13 in this chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, Do esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves." Now, this is a difficult portion for Scripture for we preachers to preach, as we do not want to draw attention to ourselves. That's the last thing we want to do. But as the Scripture comes forth, we have to deal with it when we're going through a book. And, beloved of God, God's gospel preachers are God's servants. They're the ministers of Christ, and they should be heard and treated as such by His people. They are not to be lifted up on a pedestal. No. They are not to be fond over, as though they were superior to any others. They are not to crave the praise of man. Any man who craves the praise of man is not God's servant. Yet, those men who faithfully serve your soul by faithfully preaching the gospel are not to be lightly esteemed. In the Corinthian church, you could tell who was preaching by the people who came to the service. If Paul was preaching, those who loved Paul were present, but not those who followed the Pauls Peter. Because of their childish carnality, the Corinthian saints were divided into groups. They were divided into groups according to the preachers they liked or did not like. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians and we'll look at verses 12 to 17. Perhaps some at the Corinthian church favored Paul's precise logic. Maybe others, Apollo's oratory skill. In others, maybe Peter's plainness. Well, it may have been that some liked and disliked certain personality traits. Look at First Corinthians chapter one, verses twelve to seventeen. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, the first thing we see in verse 12 is they've brought Christ down to the same level as those men. Oh, let it never be so. Our Lord Jesus Christ, He's the prince of preachers, He's the supreme preacher. <laughs> no one compares to Him. But we see now there's been camps made in this. Church at Corinth. Some saying I'm of Paul. Others saying I'm of Apollos, and and I of Cephas. And then, oh my, they they put Christ in there on the same level as those men. And Paul asks in verse thirteen, "Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Are we baptized in the name of Paul?" And then he writes, "I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius." lest any should say that I have baptized in mine own name, and Paul would never do that. And I baptized also the household of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize. Christ didn't send Paul and Apollos and Cephas to baptize. No, Christ sent them, those men, to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. Now the reason for the strife within this church was not in the preachers. They were all faithful men. The reason for the strife was the carnality of the Corinthian church as they acted like children. If a man or woman is thirsty, if they are really thirsty, really thirsty for the righteousness of Christ. If a man or woman is really thirsty and hungers and thirsts after righteousness, really thirsty They will not be terribly fussy about what the cup looks like. And see, that's all that is. It's the water. It's the water that quenches our thirst, isn't it? Not the cup. See, they were looking at the cup. They were looking at the ones who were delivering the message. They had their eyes off Christ. So if a man or a woman is really thirsty, really thirsty, and hungers and thirsts after righteousness, again, they will not be terribly fussy about what the cup looks like or who made it, so long as it contains the water to quench their thirst. Now, if they have no thirst for water, they are far more likely to talk about the cup, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, look at this cup. It's superior than all the other cups. It's my favorite cup. Well, people do the same thing with preachers, and it's shameful. It ought never to be. We preachers never want anyone to pit One preacher against another. Never. We're just servants of Christ. That's all we are. That's all we are. Servants of Christ. Saved sinners, just like our brothers and sisters in Christ. And our text brings forth, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now, in the day that this letter was written, there were sometimes a plurality of pastors because the church met in various houses. And though some churches in our day have a plurality of elders with a hierarchy, it was not so in the early church. The preachers labored among the body. And we see in these verses that Paul admonishes the brethren concerning them. You know, he did so in other places in scripture. And 1 Timothy 5.17, the scripture declares, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Hebrews 13.7, the scripture declares, Remember them which have ruled over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Then in Hebrews 13.17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now religion over the years has come up with varying views of a pastor, and much of what they have conjured up is, has no scriptural support, and men false religion are nothing more than hirelings who consider being a pastor as a job. Pastoring is not a job, it's a calling. It's not being a facilitator or a referee or someone to fire if the contract standards were not met. No, the true gospel preacher is a sent man of God. And the office of a pastor is one who preaches the gospel, preaches Christ and him crucified. And We see in scripture that the office of pastor is defined. First, we see in verse 12 that they are over you in the Lord. And this in no way implies that they are better than you. Or that they are to look down at you. Never. Neither is the pastor to be a dictator. And this phrase Brother Tim James brings forth is limited to preaching the gospel. And admonishing, rebuking, and reproving with the gospel. Let's look at verse 12 again. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The rule rule of a sent pastor is of a benevolent leader whose leadership is in spiritual things. Brother Tim James continues, The pastor is neither judge nor jury nor executioner. He is the teller of good things. He proclaims the gospel. He labors in word and doctrine and does not control or govern the lives of those to whom he ministers. The rule of the pastor is wrapped up in assuring that which proceeds from the pulpit is the gospel. Brother Tim James continues, Their love, their counsel, their ministry is the gospel of the grace of God, and that is the only way that they watch for your souls, is those who must give account. They are also the servants of the flock. He says, The buck stops at the pulpit, as pastors are your servants for Christ's sake. End quote. Beloved of God, we pastors serve the flock of God by ministering the gospel, and we preachers are said to belong to the church, as Paul said to the church at Corinth, We are yours. For the church of the living God, this is a most pleasant truth. We see in verse 12 that Paul first besieges the brethren concerning the pastors with the words that they are to know them that labor among you. Look at this, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now the Greek word for know there in our text in verse 12 is odiah which generally has to do with perceiving that which is obviously revealed. The brethren are to acknowledge that the pastor is the man whom the Lord has sent to them, and the one who must give account for their souls. The pastor labors in word and doctrine. It admonishes his hearers to do all things with their hearts and mind on Christ. Look at verse 13. We see in verse 13 that the brethren are to esteem their pastors, and to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Again, this has to do with the office. The believers are to follow their pastor as their pastors follow Christ. We saw that brought forth in chapter 1, verse 6. Let's read verse 5 also with that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as we know what manner of men we were among you for your sake and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. That doesn't mean that they followed Paul and worshipped him, not at all. They followed him as he follows Christ. And pastors are to be highly esteemed, but never to be looked at as above anyone, never to be looked at as heroic in any way. We are men of flesh. We are men of flesh, men of sinful flesh, and we are plagued with the same sin as everybody else. Oftentimes, people put pastors on pedestals, and this should never be, because the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We are all sinners in our natural state, and we are still sinners after the Lord saves us. But praise be to God, we're clothed in the perfect, spotless righteousness of Christ. But every one of God's elect, are saved by the same mercy and grace. There is no one who is better than anyone else. We are all a bunch of mercy beggars. Listen to the words of our master when he was speaking to the Pharisees. Now those Pharisees were highly esteemed in man's eyes. And our Lord says to them in Luke chapter 16 verse 15, And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before man. So those Pharisees, They justified themselves before men. Look at what we do by their works. They justified themselves before men. But it says this, But God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So man might say, Well, look at that fellow. Oh, surely, surely that fellow's going to heaven. Oh, they're they're such a good person. Well, there's none good, no, not one. And that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Turn, if you would, to Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Now, every sent preacher of God will say these words with Paul. Who is sufficient for these things? Let's look at the context of those words which Paul spoke. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Furthermore, when I came to Taurus to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Look at that. Paul went... Wherever he went, Paul preached the gospel, Christ's gospel, the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace, the gospel of a salvation accomplished and finished by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says here, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Never forget, never forget. Any time you get to speak to someone or witness to someone about the great things that God has done for you, even every time we preachers stand up in the pulpit, that's a door opened unto us by the Lord. And he goes on to say, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish." To the one we are a savour of death unto death and to the other the savour of life unto life. And then Paul writes these, these words which every sent preacher of God says and who is sufficient for these things. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God but is of sincerity but as of God in the sight of God we speak in Christ. Beloved of God the pastor is to be highly esteemed for the work's sake and this is even of a very narrow scope. What is the work, one might ask? What is the work and labor of the pastor? What's to preach and publish the good tidings of good things that's brought forth in the Old Testament and in the New? Isaiah 52, 7 says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publish peace, and bringeth good tidings of good, that publish salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. And then in Romans 10, Verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Oh, the only way we have peace with God is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of peace is the gospel of Christ. And it's good tidings and it's glad tidings to sinners who are saved by the grace of God. And the esteem the brethren are to have for the pastor has to do with his singular job description. And Paul clearly brings that forth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2 to 5, where he says, For I am determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Well, there's the job description of the pastor, right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I am determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. If the pastor preaches the gospel, the gospel of salvation in and through the Lord Jesus Christ alone, the gospel of a finished salvation Accomplished by Christ and Christ alone, then esteem him highly in love for the work's sake. If he does not preach the gospel, he is not a pastor at all. And this high estimation is in love for the work's sake. The church is a body of believers that are to esteem one another better than themselves and to esteem their pastor in love for the work's sake, for the preaching of the gospel. And the entire body, including the pastor, does not seek the preeminence. No, they seek the lowest place in the gathering. And the result will be peace among the people of God. And the last part of verse 13 says, And be at peace among yourselves. Beloved of God, the Lord Jesus Christ is every believer's peace. By the supreme sacrifice of himself, our suffering Savior reconciled all of his elect to God. God is not angry with his blood-bought children as all of his chosen people not only receive a full pardon from God for Christ's sake, but our blessed Redeemer has by himself purged all our sins. He has removed our sins from God's sight as far as the east is from the west. Oh, what peace floods the soul of those who are born again by the Holy Spirit of God for those whose eye of faith looks to the the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that he sanctified and perfected us forever when he laid down his life for us. So rejoice, you who are the beloved of God. God remembers our sins against us no more. And those who are redeemed by the precious, precious blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and have experienced the miracle of the new birth, are the only ones who have this blessed peace with God. God tells us in his word that the wicked have no peace. And the word of God admonishes us here in our text to be at peace among ourselves. Beloved of God, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And we are to manifest our love for one another with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Behold, beloved of God, behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Glory be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen and amen.